I encourage all of us to persevere with this practice, which uh, in a way seems so simple. Be with how things are so that you can see the true nature of things and illusions fall away and we wake up to our unshakable, timeless Buddha nature. It is actually simple. But it's so arduous because of ancient conditioned tendencies, habits of taking our thoughts, taking our worries, taking our pains to be me and all of me. So we lose touch with our spaciousness and contract around some formation. Can't see anything else. Along with some sort of conviction, it shouldn't be this way. So we scramble to try to get somewhere else. So always trying to get somewhere else, assuming that we're impoverished here. There's something that's lacking here within this moment. That sense of it always being somewhere else, that's what's called samsara. So, so we're always going and then we think it's there and then we grasp at another feeling or a moment, but because the nature of this conditioned world is continually perishing, dawn turns to midday, turns to dusk. The in-breath, as soon as we get to like the in-breath, it goes and becomes out-breath. And then, oh, out-breath, letting go, this is fantastic. Then you got something coming in. And so this, because of these tendencies to think we can get it somewhere, we, we somehow lose touch with our depth. So I encourage, though it's simple, the theory is still important, a very important conceptual framework to know that actually all our treasures are here. That's a very important thought keep reminding oneself. But because of our habits, it, it's, when we do come to here, we, we, we are, as one of our dear friends and teachers says, Ajahn Sujita, he says, we become eyeball to eyeball with our karma. When you sit down on a retreat and you're not chatting, and the distractions are at a minimum, when you've read all the labels and <laughs> seen the notice board about 43 times, <laughs> checked your watch, coordinated your watch with all the other watches. After a while, you start sensing this, this, this momentum of habit to get do something, get away from something, fix something. That's called eyeball to eyeball with our karma. That is not easy. And yet, And yet, that is so important to, to begin to touch into how it actually is. And the more an unconscious tendency is very different from a conscience, conscious tendency. When Buddha, that which knows, starts to touch something, uh, that's the wish-fulfilling gem, that's, the, um, that's a 
in a magic wand because a mysterious alchemy, transformation starts to happen when something's touched with awareness. Like even the sense of I'm a kind of useless case, everybody else has Buddha nature but me. Look at her sitting there like a Buddha, peaceful. Look at me, my mind is, gosh, good thing there's not a microphone in my mind. I would be pushed out of here so fast. And, you know. and yet, okay, so that's a, that's a tendency. That's a mantra. Not a particularly skillful one, but I'm a useless case. Now, when we touch that, start to touch it with some of these Buddha qualities, loka vidu, the knower of the world, Buddha, the one who's aware, or Kuan Yin. All these are different words for this principle of listening to the sounds. When we start listening to the sounds, oh, I'm useless. I just see. We start to sense it as, as for what it is, a, a tendency, a feeling, a thought process associated with a tendency to contract around, aren't I useless? We start to touch that with inquiry, with inner listening. Already, an alchemy is starting. Already, there's beginning perspective is appearing. Already, patience, that so-called negative thing, is already bringing capacity to be with. Compassion's already coming right out of that very situation. The capacity to feel with this suffering being in our heart. All that's being then created in, in the very moment that we're starting to touch the conditions of our lives, our tendencies with mindfulness, inner listening. It's still hard because something in us wants to run away. God, what are you doing? Get out of here, buddy, while you still can breathe. You can, you can, you could, you should be in Florida <laughs> on the beach. This is stressful. And you can, and, you know, you can say, well, thank you for, thank you for that tip, you can say to yourself. And watch that hungry ghost try to grab us out of there. And then in a moment of being patient, and then this voice is, ah, help, help, help. And we allow that voice to be compassionately listened to, and then it dies. Up and dies. Wells up again, but it's being held in kindness. It's being released, allowed to fulfill its destiny. As, as, as wisdom operates, we don't have to follow things. We don't, we don't have to reject things, but we can know them and allow them. So that what our teacher called orphan of consciousness. It's being blessed by Buddha, blessed by Kuan Yin, blessed by, these are our qualities within us, blessed by that which can just know, mm, as it comes up and dissolves. That's how karma is starting to be transformed. Karma means to create. Our creations, we're starting to little by little patiently allow old, unskillful creations to wear out as we begin to cultivate with our right effort. Skillful creations. Kindness, compassion. It does take trust. Because when everything in us wants to get out, to, to remind ourselves, oh, it's okay to be here. Now, we're giving ourselves permission. That's why we're using the schedule quite kindly so that when one needs to rest, rest. 
but still try to, as, as much as one can, stay within the whole container of the retreat. You know, it's not that one has to get a seat belt and have to lock everyone into your seat for the whole time. You know, so there are opportunities to, to know when to go forward, when to relax. But in general, by staying within this whole retreat container, we are able to face how things are, face our karmic tendencies. A famous teaching of the Buddha. Mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Just this, first I'll go through the whole thing. Mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Heedlessness is the path to death. The mindful never die. The heedless are as if dead already. Now, we don't know this yet. Some of the hidden Buddhas back there do know this, but we don't know it. Maybe we get glimpses of it. Maybe we're starting to get a deeper sense of it. That's good. But why I'm saying it like this is, at first we, there's just trust, or maybe distrust. We're not sure. Is that true or not? Mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Heedlessness is the path to death. But we think, well, is it? Uh, then we try it. We don't really know, but then we try. What are we doing? Being mindful of sitting, mindful of breathing, mindful of walking, mindful of our moods. Is that an evil thing? Is it harming the world? And then as moments of mindfulness, of course, according to the teachings, allow little by little moment of being connected to it, how it is, connected to it, how it is, as that gets stronger, it's what becomes what's called samadhi, gatheredness. So that we can be at ease in the simplicity of our life. The Buddha taught that, you know, this activity of mindfulness and ease is learning how to cultivate a blameless, pleasing abiding in the here and now. It's wonderful if we can go to exotic places and have holidays, even to come here. But we always can't come here. But with mindfulness, if we experiment, have enough trust just to try it, then we can actually learn to enjoy touching a cup, bringing the cup up, having tea. Enjoy the simplicity of breathing in and breathing out, the simplicity of standing. Even being able to be at ease with discomfort when we know, ah, it's like this now, it's cold, or there is fatigue. Mindful enough to notice the pain, the extra pain that comes when we don't want the pain that we have, the Buddha said that's like adding a second arrow. We already have some physical discomfort, but when we don't want it to be that way, he says it's like being shot with another arrow, self-inflicted arrow. We make it much worse. With mindfulness practice, samadhi practice, we learn to recognize that, relax, and be able to, little by little, this is a lifetime cultivation, be relatively at ease with what we're doing.
And then if, if we're able to be with where we are, be with what we are, then we're able then to see how things actually are. We might have this wish, oh, wouldn't it be nice if all beings were at peace? Wouldn't it be nice if I was happy? I mean, it's a lovely thought. Wouldn't it be nice if I was at ease with my body and mind? Those are beautiful thoughts. That's lovely. But it's one thing to wish to be at peace with the world. It's another thing to practice being with the world of sight, sound, taste, smell, touch, thought. People think, oh gosh, you guys going off to retreat, hiding away, we're out here battling. You're hiding from the world. This is tough work. But actually we're cultivating primary relationship with the essentials of the world. By being here, we're learning how to to realistically be with body, which is with us wherever we go. Be with feeling. Be with thought. Be with moods. And know them by practicing moments. So I encourage us to be patient, even if you felt the sitting was total write-off. Put a big X by that period. And you know, to to have a moment of ah, touching with mindfulness, kindness, awareness, ah, that mood. It's a total write-off. Then as we get up, beginning again, noticing what it's like to get up. Walking out the room, noticing. Ah, I should get out of here. Touching that. Breathing in, breathing out, noticing, ah, it subsided a little. Okay, well, maybe I can just do a little walking. Moments of practicing, practicing. We're building up. These first few days are the most difficult. But we're building up the power of being able to be realistic, be with how things actually are. And as that builds, as, and you won't, it's not always obvious, but moments of being with walking, with sitting, with whatever we're doing, to the best of our ability, just coming and noticing, ah, it's like this. That then enables us more to to actually be in touch with life. Why is mindfulness the path to the deathless? Because then as we're mindful, as we little by little learn to get at ease, present with this, then we're able to start to notice. If we're mindful of a breath, we're noticing that goodness, it comes and goes. The meditation session begins and ends that sense of a hopeless case and it was the end of the world, that was a mood that came and welled up and filled my whole consciousness and body and then it subsided. 
not as a theory, but we then start to know in moments. We have the vision. We have the insight of, ah, conditions are coming and going, changing. Then there's the possibility of being able to realize, of course I can't keep something a certain way. We'd like to keep a certain feeling, keep a certain situation. That brings stress. That brings suffering. The more mindful we are, then we start to see that actually things do change. And in honoring that, allowing that, releasing our clutching of the world, then our capacity to be at ease deepens because we, we then find ourselves resting in this original brightness, this Buddha nature, this refuge. And things continue to change, but we're more at ease with how they are. Realizing that, as our teacher said, if we seek for certainty in that which is actually uncertain, we're bound to suffer. If we want feelings and thoughts and weather conditions to be a certain way, we're bound to suffer because it is the nature of weather. And we're part of the weather, nature of our mood, our thoughts. We're part of nature to continually change. So whereas the conditions are born and dying, with our insight, if we can be patient and mindful enough to trust that it's okay to be where we are, to be in this moment, we then start to allow the birth and death of thought and breath and mood to be as it is, and we begin to get the sense of this undying, deathless suchness, this awareness. It's our refuge. At first, it's just trust. We don't know. But we're trying to be mindful, making efforts, falling back, making efforts. But with encouragement of our spiritual friends and of each other, little by little, through practice, we actually learn that we are able in moments to to sense that actually the goal is not somewhere else. It's all right being here and now. The heedless are as if the, the, the heedlessness is the path to death. It just means that when we heedlessly keep grasping, thinking we've got it now, and because it changes, we keep dying, we keep thinking we've lost it. The heedless are as if dead already. This means that when we're not really awake, we're not really alive, are we? We're sort of in a trance or compulsive treadmill. So rather than escaping from life, we're giving ourselves some perspective from our habitual tendencies and actually courageously learning learning how to bear and meet and experience and feel the reality of body, feeling, mood, consciousness. Using these uh, ancient wisdom teachings, wisdom-compassion teachings, which aren't exploiting the world, being mindful, learning how to find some ease and simplicity, learning to just be with an in-breath, be with an out-breath, sensing, staying with the sensation in the body, maybe at the nostrils, or at the heart, the belly, Getting some skill at being able when, oh, but I've got a 
work this out and being able to just say, well, not now, later. Getting a little skill at being able to touch, honor that, but just return, steady, and begin to have some moments of being with the sensations of just sitting, breathing in, breathing out, practicing a little bit, learning how to let the awareness expand so that our sense of our whole body sitting, so that our groundedness is more anchored, it's more rooted. Practicing relaxing and the tendencies, oh, I've got to get there, I've got to get there, encouraging ourselves to know it's, it's okay to relax. And even if it is painful or not, we've read in the books about rapture. Lovely, where is that rapture? Remember that the seed of rapture is learning to receive and savor whatever there is. Rapture is just when energy starts to well up. Our energy is usually scattered so many places. As we begin to draw our attention within this moment, the energy like the tide rising, and the boat's on the sand, it lifts it a little, still touching the sand, lift, lift, and then as it gets enough strength, the boat is lifted off. Sometimes as our energy little by little wells up, then we get the feeling of them being held up, buoyed. But that's a patient process, so even if we are tired, the seed of rapture is learning to savor and enjoy just how we do feel like a mother holding a new baby, just holding, holding, letting the energy little by little well up, reminding ourselves to relax, returning to the simplicity of sitting, walking, eating, resting. Depending on each of our tendencies, sometimes that for some is quite easy or comes more easily where one gets a very, very peaceful. And that's important to get a sense that peace is possible. But sometimes when we say, not now, <laughs> these tendencies say, who are you fooling? You didn't get rid of me like that? And sometimes the uh, voices are deafening or things are just so overwhelming urgencies and worries and discouragements and passions and self-loathing. And then, and then sometimes we realize, okay, let's just work with this. Then the little bit of mindfulness, the capacity to be with how things are, we then just receive and welcome that particular condition. I won't go into a big talk about it now, but these, these, these are two aspects of meditation practice. One is more calming, simplicity, steadying. Another is more open-ended inquiry into how things are. It's the relationship between what's called samatha vipassana. They're related. It all comes out of the mind, sometimes just steadying itself for simplicity, but ultimately to be free. Even if you get really peaceful and you're a champion at getting peaceful, still, at some point, for liberation, it's useful to look at everything and realize even this peaceful state is a changing condition. Because the body 
can get tired. The nervous system can misfire. The conditions around us are fragile. So even if we're peaceful, that's wonderful, but ultimately the Buddha encouraged us to use that whatever peace and presence we have to then inquire and see the nature of things. So sometimes other conditions come up that seem to be obstructing us from, uh, from uh, being peacefully here. The Buddha called them hindrances. But be careful about that word. Because when I go through these, you'll think, oh goodness, I'm hindered, I'm hindered. I've not just got one, I've got all five. And there's even more than five. Remember, our teacher encouraged us that when you know something as it is, it's not then a hindrance anymore. It becomes a teacher, something that will teach us patience and kindness and understanding. So this is very important. All of our karmas are different. So for some of us, there's going to be a a lot of uh, hindrances to work with, but they become noble teachers. And there's, there's a classic list of them. Actually, there's, there's hundreds of them. But there's basic categories. Desire and aversion. They're mere images of each other, the first two. Then dullness, heaviness, sleepiness. And its opposite is restlessness. Bouncing off the walls. And doubt. They're all just different configurations of mind. So we don't have to worry too much what exact definition to give to one. But what's useful is noticing desire. So if that's coming a lot, that Florida beach or that uh, California sunshine or something, of course, they had a big snowstorm out there too. Noticing what desire does. We're here and we think, you know, energy's not flowing. Wouldn't it be nice to be out on that mountain? Noticing how to Desire takes one out there. It's not that it's bad, but just to notice that. That can help keep us from going into the depth of the moment. Desire has energy in it. It's not a bad thing. Some form of desire took us onto this retreat. But if we don't contemplate it, don't learn from it, then we're always hijacked by a desire that will take us over there, take us over there. Desire never looks at itself. It's always saying, that's where you need to be. I should have been, you know, taking saunas and things rather than doing self-torture. Okay, so I mean, so we hear that. We hear that. And so can, if that's coming up some kind of desire, different kinds of desire, to be with somewhere else, to be with a person, to talk, or to whatever, can we touch that, notice that? Notice where it is in the body. Notice how it pulls us. Our teacher said, someone asked him, what is the biggest obstruction to his Western disciples? This is Ajahn Chah. Biggest obstruction to them uh, making progress on the path. He says, they've read all this stuff. They have all these ideas. They have so many views and opinions. He said, the most important book to read is the book of your heart. 
It's the most important thing. He didn't put down reading, but when we're so full of, I'm supposed to be getting rapture. Where's the rapture? I've read it in the books, Kitty Sarleton. This or what kind of teachers are you? Where's that rapture? Ajahn Chah said, have you read the book of your heart? And you can read treatises on hindrances and rapture and stuff, but do we know desire? Can we feel it pull us? Can we feel it burning? Without judging, can we be interested and be mindful of it? Even if your whole sitting is about that, that is not wasted. Usually when a desire comes, it's me. We stick to it. But to have the form of sitting helps us get perspective and, and mindful of a desire comes and goes. It wells up and subsides. It's shifting. It's changing. We have a chance to get to know it. Like in a, the country where we've been living many years, South Africa, going to a game park. To, to, to see a, a, a giraffe. Wow. To inquire. Look at the incredible eyelashes, the long or the rhinos, and they're terrifying. Or the lions, just waiting. Or the impalas that are so sleek and beautiful and then can run away in a flash. But to, that's nature. Well, this is nature. This book of the heart has many, many creatures in it that are part of our nature that when we don't understand them, when we unconsciously identify with every desire, every aversion, every worry, then we lose touch with our original brightness. Aversion is, is similar to desire. It's the desire for things not to be. This is a big obstruction when we don't understand it in meditation. First a sound, first a thought, first ourself, wanting rapture, verse to this, wanting rapture, verse to this. And there's actually practice welcoming, inviting to tea these orphans of consciousness. When we don't read the book of the heart, we just identify our things or try to push things away. We let it come in and let that be our teacher. Dispassionately get to know, you know, aversion, self-aversion, aversion for feeling, aversion for pain. See if we can have a moment of just kind of sensing it. And noticing how ephemeral that is too. It's there and then it's gone. If we're continually being propelled by desire and aversion, we don't go deep into our moment. So that's why it's so useful to get to know these and have moments of being able to somehow let it be, not be so identified with the desire and aversion. We can be patient. Same with dullness. Like a rhino stuck in the mud. We, we've seen a rhino sitting there in the mud kind of in bliss, snoring, and it's, it was half in the mud, bubbling. Just this rhino, this huge thing. Sometimes that's the state we get in. <laughs> like that. And rather than hating it and thinking, you know, 
getting to know that state, sensing how we get there, and having a moment. And, and sometimes it's so much me, we can sometimes ask the question, who's experiencing this? And then for a moment, the preoccupation with the object of desire or aversion or the rhino state of like that, we have a moment of being able to have contact with that buddhic knowing that's always awake. It's a part of us that never sleeps. It's always awake. Always knows. And that that state is an object. It's a visitor into that state. So to get to know that state. And then the opposite state, the restlessness. It's everywhere. Again, to, you know, sometimes be patient with that. Touch that with interest. Watchfulness. Allowing. And somehow, sometimes when we just do that, not make such a problem out of it, not believe that it's me so much. Rather than being me, we're changing it into dharma. Rather than me, it's me, I'm heavy, I'm desiring, I'm the hopeless case. We're in the game park, or we're reading the book of the heart, and we're noticing, ah, there's desire, there's aversion, there's restlessness, there's confusion. In letting it be, sometimes it's easier than to return and notice that which is our refuge at the center, the knowing, or the Kuan Yin, the one who listens at ease to the sounds of the rhino snoring, to the sounds of the person that wishes they were on holiday, to the whimpering, it's too difficult. We become the compassionate wise one at the center. And a very important, the last one that's so important too, the doubts. This is very important in deepening our trust. It seems like a contradiction, but the doubts, oh gosh, there's so many things. and Five indras and four aspects, and God has 20 of those and five of those, and man, all day. And... Just, and I'm not sure you watch the breath here and you watch the breath down here and you're walking or not walking or doing qigong or not doing qigong. I don't even know. And I don't even know if I'm interested in Buddhism. Maybe I need to do some, some bhakti practice and, you know, something like that. And, which, and to be able to doubt, that's a doubt. Rather than have to solve it, to know doubt. Oh, there's doubt. Oh, no, but I, I, which kitty sorrow? I mean, should I watch the breath in my belly? Should, I mean, some say that's where, the, you know, qigong, there's a big center there. But the heart's compassion unifies everything. The crown chakra is where you blow the thing open. The root chakra, and I just, which, that's doubt. I, I know, but, but which would be best? That's doubt. Can we know the doubt? Do you, do you get this? Which is better? I don't know. That's doubt. But you can know the not knowing. This is important. You can be at ease. Which is the center I should be focusing? I don't know. Try. Different ones. Changes. Knowing the doubt. The doubt comes, oh, but is this better? Is that better? That's a doubt. That's like a, uh, what do you call those that make the funny noise when they go into the camps at night and uh, funny shapes? Yeah, hyena. It's like a hyena. There's a doubt creeping through, trying to... There's a doubt. 
as Stephen Batchelor says, having the faith to doubt. Your Buddha refuge doesn't get, the trust doesn't get destroyed when there's a doubt. You know doubt. Well, what should I do? Don't know. It's like when bread's in the oven. Is it cooked yet? It doesn't cook immediately. It's not done. Sometimes it's not time for an answer. It's important to, oh, but I want the bread now. Kanisra says, kitty saw it's got to cook. But I want it now. Let it cook. Sometimes our, the things haven't cooked yet. There aren't answers yet. It's important to know doubt as a formation. We still maintain our refuge and trust in knowing. This is such an important insight to learn to start to get perspective on doubt rather than I'm doubting, I need an answer. Our whole spacious suchness contracts around being in search of some answer. This is so important, mindfully, just to know a doubt. Practicing that. So today, keep being with sitting, walking, being with breathing. Then if visitors come that, that need to be open to, read the book of the heart patiently. Knowing desire, knowing aversion, knowing doubt. And little by little, trusting a little more. This mindfulness practice is the path to the deathless. It takes us home here to the original brightness that is already here. But we lose it when we're so busy chasing for it somewhere else or thinking we've got to get rid of something. Mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Heedlessness is the path to death. The mindful never die. This takes us to a recognition of that in us which doesn't die. The heedless are as if dead already. Encourage ourselves. It's hard work, but it's noble.